Welcome to another episode of Ask Canadian 6. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jasmine Ford, Vice President of Ontario for the World Tech Organization, and we are joined by your other co-host, Harmon Condola from Edmonton. Harmon, how's it going? I'm very excited. The Sangat has been waiting for this next episode, the next iteration <laughs> of Ask Canadian 6. All right, so we're going to talk about, I mean, never a dull moment. Some some really interesting things happened. Uh, but I think before we start, today is, the day that we're recording this is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. So for folks who are listening, we uh, did post a couple things that WSO is doing. Check out our posts on all of our social media handles. But I did want to share, um, we work here in Toronto with Council Fire in supporting the creation of a park in Nathan Phillips Square to recognize residential school survivors. We've been a part of the planning for this park for, I want to say like more than three years. And we they gave us a tour today of the actual site. And it was, it was a pile of dirt and it was the most beautiful pile of dirt I've ever seen. I was so moved by it. Um, so I just wanted to share that as the reflection here from the Ontario team on the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Um, Harmon, anything that stands out to you from Edmonton? I know you're a parent. There's probably stuff going on in the school boards or in Edmonton in general. Is there, Has there been a, a moment that, like something you've heard or a moment of pause today? Um, for many of the schools in Alberta, they are actually um, given students a day off. Um, otherwise, obviously, um, a lot of events around truth and reconciliation, um, you know, they're given the the you know the amount of um residential schools that existed in alberta some up until you know the 1980s um definitely a, a province that is spending a lot of time uh, confronting its role in, in a genocidal history and and um thinking about people who never made it back home yep Definitely a lot to think about. Um, and I think a lot of parallels with the sick narrative as well. And so um, just just everyone who's listening to take some time and think about what that means to you and, and how it impacts you and what you're the change you're going to create as you continue to do your Bantic work. So we've got a few things to uh, chat about. We um, some exciting times. We got a, a lot of elections coming up. We just had the election for the federal um, leader of the Conservatives. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about municipal elections happening in Ontario. We're going to go out east and talk about Hurricane Fiona. But we're going to start right here at home for me and what was home for Harmon for a day because you were here for this exciting event. The referendum for Khalistan that happened in Brampton. Harmon, why would you come to Brampton for a referendum on Khalistan? Um, you know, I was there for various reasons. I was overwhelmed by the amount of community support for the referendum. It was, I mean, starting the day before, you know, it was, it was overwhelming from a visual perspective, just seeing how many um, vehicles and cars with Khalistan signs, um, you know, and the day of it, it there was a, a definitely buzz within the community about people wanting to get out and have and participate, despite a lot of the concerns that exist around, you know, um, data, which we'll talk about, um, you know, the personal information, 
there was already, you know, first thing, 8.30 a.m. when they were going to open, there was already, um, you know, reports that there were long lines, hour-long plus lines, and that didn't seem to deter anybody. You had difficult weather, rain, wind, and the lines never stopped all day. You know, the organizers had done a phenomenal job of making sure there was longer available, but they were running out of plates and food. Like, I think, I, I, don't, I think this really in terms of the turnout, um, and we can talk about uh, more of the substantive portion, but the turnout itself was overwhelming. I don't think I've met anyone who hasn't been just blown away from how many people were actually there. I think that's one of the most stunning things. Like I think, so my whole hesitation with the referendum is I don't know who's funding it. I don't know enough about Six for Justice. I don't know enough about where that money comes from. I'm not comfortable saying that this, like where the, who's pushing the initiative and, and where everything is coming from. Um, the response I think was completely authentic. So the the organization, don't know, big question mark. The response was super authentic. I think every single person that came out of there, um, who came out and I saw the, I didn't go, I saw the videos, I saw the pictures, I saw the lunger, I heard the, uh, like, like the whole mahal really said something to me. So this idea that Khalistan is fringe or Khalistan is dead or that nobody wants Khalistan, you can't negate that anymore. You can't look at all of those people who are coming out and say that this is an idea that really like, I mean, we've heard every every version of this, right? That this is not something that real six want. This is uh, something that has died out. This is something that there's no demand for anymore. It's just a small group of terrorists. What we saw was an incredibly peaceful, well-organized uh, demand for Khalistan. And it didn't, yeah, wasn't fringe. Yeah, and I, and I think that was... Um... You know, the, the biggest message that came out of this was now that there was a recognition, um, you know, and, and the expectation originally you actually saw a conservative MP come out and uh, acknowledge uh, the amount of people who were out there um, and, and, and commend them for, for, you know, getting their voice to be heard. That tweet was quickly uh, deleted, uh, no, no surprise. Uh, given that, you know, obviously the, the Indian government, I think it's one thing to to point to a fringe group and, and use a fringe group to further a narrative when you've now actually have what is uh, an overwhelming demand in the response. Now this, this kind of runs counter to your narratives. Yeah, it does. Um, like it, it totally undermines everything the Indian government wants to, you know, position Khalistan as. And, and you know, for uh, from my perspective, to be part of like this overwhelming community mobilization, and I, you know, again, I whether or not everyone who voted actually supports Six for Justice, I think is a separate separate issue. Um, they were there because they're fed up, and and you know, talking to people who who were there and who were in line, um, there's a lot more awareness of the relationship that the Sikh community has um, with with sovereignty and with the Indian government, and that is. That, that's something that people talk about in their homes. It's Canadian, Canadian six. This is definitely a, a topic that is prevalent in the community. Yeah, and there was, okay, so then herein lies my issue with, you, you mentioned data. Um, 
what is going to happen? So this referendum is non-binding. It doesn't actually translate. Nobody, it wasn't run by someone in power. It doesn't actually mean Khalistan is going to be formed out of a part of Punjab or out of a part of India. So that's not going to happen. But what has happened is we now have a list of every person who lives in Brampton and a couple from Edmonton who believe in Khalistan. And what happens with that list and why? I mean... That's, again, I just have questions. I don't have answers, but that makes me really uncomfortable. There were some other things that surrounded this as well. Uh, a couple days before, we saw, uh, so there's Baps, there's Amanda here in Brampton, and there was uh, graffiti on the Mandar. And then we also saw, I believe it was the next night, that there there were rumors that there was graffiti on Malton Gordora. So there's some rumblings beforehand, and then the actual event seems to unfold very peacefully. Um, there were, we do keep a lot of tabs on media and media responses, and we try and respond in real time to requests for a sick perspective on media. So we saw some of the stories that were coming out of the referendum, and there was one op-ed by a person who had gone there. Um, he was a Hindu and he had shared signs that said that he was all yay Khalsa, but y'all need to stay in India and we need to be a united India. And the worst thing he could write in his op-ed was, the six protected me, they made sure no one hassled me, they fed me, they gave me langar, um, and I stood there with my signs. <laughs> so if someone who's like, who went there to protest your referendum... All, the worst he could write was they gave me a hot lunch and they made sure I was safe. That to me says it all went down pretty much with a lot of safety. So there was, yeah, so there's kind of those rumblings. And then it seems like it goes off in a super calm way. And then we have some of the responses after. What do you make of those? You know, I think the government of India became became unhinged. Um <laughs> So obviously they were trying to lay the foundation in the in the for for how they were going to respond to this with that um, whole story that emerges from the graffiti at Baps Mandar. Um, you saw how they wanted to kind of play a very divisive role in 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 laying this out and demonstrating that there was a threat to Hindus and Indians from um, Sikh extremists and and a narrative that is then parroted by an MP Chandra um, Ayers. Uh, liberal MP who makes a ridiculous statement on Twitter and in Parliament, which has gone unchallenged by the Liberal Party of Canada. I'm amazed that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has not yet uh, forced him or demanded that he remove that, where he claims that the graffiti was orchestrated by you know, uh, extremist uh, Canadian Sikh, um, Canadian Sikhs, uh, absolutely an anti-Sikh statement. There's no evidence to suggest that um, six were involved at this stage. And if he has intel and if he has intelligence, maybe he should share that with the relevant authorities to ensure that whoever did uh, vandalize this mother, that they are held accountable. Uh, instead, you know, he's just feeding into the narrative. Some definitely an MP that I think the, the, the sick community is now very wary of because he's exposed the fact that he's willing to uh, Parrot a foreign government's narrative. I mean, that this is direct foreign interference in our sovereignty. He's literally using lines that the Indian government um, is feeding him. 
But, I mean, otherwise, like, some of the news stories that come out are just completely unhinged. I mean, you know, in Canada, um, the Pakistani um, High Commissioner, John Baz Khan, go, was at Gordore in Vancouver the same day of the referendum, thanking them for uh, their donations to the Pakistani um, relief funds, you know, to help rebuilding that country after the terrible floods. And they're running stories about this is proof and evidence of Pakistani's uh, funding of this uh, of, of this referendum. I mean, he's there at a very specific perfect purpose across the country in separate Gordore saying thank you for helping us recover from this terrible situation that's happening. And the you know the Indian media is trying to trying to link that to the referendum. It's it's unhinged. It's absolutely unhinged. And then for the Indian government to start doing, you know, their advisories and the games they're playing. I mean, yeah, yeah. Do you want to share for the folks who don't know what were the travel warnings that were put in place? You know, the Indian government comes out and puts a travel warning out to Indians in Canada to be wary of um, uh, hate crimes and, and and the increase of hate crimes in this country. And it's bizarre because, like, frankly, like hate crimes in the last several months have been coming down. Like, it. So they're they're putting out these bizarro world um, travel advisories, and yet there's nothing to support this. They are they're they're losing their ability to uh, control the narrative on, on this issue. And so that's yeah, that to me is like absolutely bonkers that they that there's like one incident of spray painting the mother, which should not happen at all there is no place of worship in canada that should ever be spray painted um for one place to be and that is one place too many uh but for the for the mother to be spray painted and for that to turn into don't travel to canada because of an increase in hate crimes um that's a little but we've seen this before we've seen the indian consulate has um there have been Khalistan. Uh, protests or, or convoys that went down to the Indian consulate and they issued letters saying to the Canadian government, you need to protect us. We're under terrorist threat. We've seen the Indian consulate here write letters to the Peel District School Board saying that you are you should not be teaching about the farmers' protest in schools. This is a regular pattern with these folks. Um, and it was, I think, like Balpi Singh spent, again, uh, another day just fielding questions with the medias and fact-checking everyone and saying you know this didn't happen this way and this didn't happen this way and while we should be you know always be like dutifully engaged in in fact checking things and take it very seriously there was actually one that i found quite hilarious where they um one of the one of the authors said that one of the authors of an article said that there was a Khalsa Day rally in Nathan Phillips Square where they were proudly displaying uh, pictures of militants, including Govinder Singh Parmar. Bobby Singh went back to the article and said that's not true. There weren't pictures of Parmar at the Toronto Nagarkirtan. They repub. They're like, cool, cool. We'll we'll fact check it. They republished the article. They wrote. There were, uh, the, the Hindu newspaper reported uh, in 2017 that the posters bore the image of the Linda Pramar, and here's a direct quote from the article. However, Balpreet Singh of the World Sikh Organization of Canada said the account is, quote, not true. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not how you fact check an article. You don't just leave the lie in there and then say, by the way, we got a call, uh, someone who says it's not true. 
you actually have to go and check the facts. So they, the, the state media machine is, has been kicked into high gear. And it's super bizarre because I wear a smartwatch. I get all of these like dings and notifications throughout the day. And I have a couple of news apps that will also, if there's like a breaking news headline, it pops up on my wrist. And I was like out and about, my wrist buzzes. And I look down and it says something about Khalistan on my wrist and about violence in Canada. And I was like, or what? Like how did this, for a day, it became such an escalated news story that the Canadian media picked up on it and it became like the headline of the day. Maybe it was a slow news day. Maybe folks actually find this to be exciting. Um, I think the, I will put it back to you. What do you think the, uh, how do you think the Canadian media handled what the Indian government was putting out there and all of their, their hype around this? What do you make of the response on this side? Well, I think the Canadian media actually missed the mark on the referendum itself. You had this monumental event happening in Brampton where um, estimates put over 100,000 people attended um, and talked about sovereignty. You know, I mean, we, we all see the the Iran issue uh, and the mainstream media press that it's getting. I'm not to diminish that at all, which and it deserves to get the press. But uh, the Canadian media had completely missed um, even covering the referendum. And so without even having that context or even reporting on on the the nuance of the referendum itself you know now just being fed narratives from a from a foreign government i mean it just continues to demonstrate to us how much work there is to ensure that there's accurate you know diversity in newsrooms um ensure that they actually understand how to tell authentic stories from community because they failed this is a complete failure once again of canadian media and it's one of the reasons why the ask canadian six movement is still so critical um in 2020 too silence was so deafening from canadian media that i actually wondered for a moment if it was strategic so i thought maybe this was part of trying to not bring attention to it so that um like you know when you report news you want to report the news not be the news and sometimes if you pay too much attention to something your attention is what makes it news and i think that in part is like like covering full trump rallies is partly what gave trump power um so i like that thought crossed my mind that are they intentionally staying away so that it doesn't become a thing but to think that it was actually born of apathy that's really yeah that's really something it was really interesting um and that even the fact that you said over 100,000 people one of the indian articles said uh they're claiming that there was 100,000 people the photos only show about a thousand and that's not how we didn't have all 100,000 people there at the same time. They came in chunks like, yes, you're only going to get a thousand in a picture. That's how pictures work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so these like very bizarre, like it felt like there was so much reaching um, for news and for violence that wasn't there. And I like while the media may still be lacking in that area, I think I know that the agencies that are involved, so in that case, it would have been like Peel Police, RCMP, CSIS, who would have been watching, um, were like, they knew that it was going on. And they were like, you saw the, the police response at the Nagarkitan when there was um, <laughs> one of our one of our friends who I'm not going to name him because he doesn't need any more notori notoriety. But like um, he showed up at the Nagarkitan and he started with his anti-Khalistan slogans. Uh, the police were swift and they like they got him out of there and everyone stayed safe and it was fine. And, and so these are things that do garner 
tension from certain agencies and for better or for worse, like, I don't know if that attention, um, it like if we don't want it or if it's part of the reason that nothing happened, I don't like, we've seen what happens when they don't deal with community issues. Well, I think when they deal with community issues, well, what happens is we don't notice anything because everything goes off and there's, there's no outbreaks or violence and no one gets hurt. And that's what happened here. And all in all, it was like a mila. It just felt like a mila. It happened. And it still feels like, I mean, us being on the safety list is still being milked. So I think this is, this is going to be in news stories for a while still. All right, let's go over to the East Coast. Um, we have, I mean, uh, just the reason that the WSO gets... Uh, brought into so many different directions, and in this case, quite literally going out east, is because of a community need. So when we started in 1984, I, there was there were definitely there have always been six out east, and we've got um, many incredible success stories, including advocacy for the first woman in the navy who wore uh, the star. But we've we've had like not as much going on out there, and we have this recent shift where because international students are going to remote communities and because new grads who are trying to get their uh, permanent residency and they have their postgraduate work permits, they need to work in areas of their expertise. So whatever you got, you're, you're here for to fill gaps in skilled labor, whatever your education is in, that's the job that you need to do. You can't stay in Brampton and <clears throat> do, like they do an, a lot of incredible hard work in Brampton. But if that hard work doesn't count towards PR, that's how you end up with folks in these very remote communities where they're able to find those job opportunities. So I got to give credit to um, Gerpa, one of our pe people on our, our WSO team who had this thought in the middle of the night. What about the six out east who don't know that there's uh, the fawn coming, uh, Hurricane Fiona was coming, and WSO got active again and reproduced a lot of the hurricane information in Punjabi. And this is one of those reasons that I will, like, if anyone's questions that we are funded by Pakistan, thank you for listening, Terry. Uh, I know you're our number one fan and you're always listening to Ask Canadian Six, Terry Malowski, and trying to figure out if we're funded by Pakistan. This one's for you. This is how low our budget is, okay? We were scrambling to try and figure out how to get these things pushed in Punjabi. And it really is just a group of well-intentioned volunteers putting all of their skills together and churning things out. Uh, within, I'd say, like a couple of hours, we had it done. So it went from being an idea to being fully formed Punjabi warnings about a hurricane. Um, within a few hours out there, we pushed it. We asked people to push it. And it was uh, previous WSO members uh, who are some of our senior members who we just gave them the words. They turned them in Punjabi. I read them out loud to my father-in-law. We got other people to read them. We put them together. We put them in the WSO colors. We put them out on social media. So there's all of this. Uh, and like, this is the kind of work where I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of the work that creates a response in the language that the response is needed. But I'm also thinking like, what would have happened if Gerpa hadn't sat up in the middle of the night and thought, 
nobody told the international students. And whose job is it to make sure that things like hurricane warnings are out there in Punjabi? I don't know whose job it is, but they, they owe Kirpa a massive thank you. Yeah, and I think the growing community out in, um, you know, out east is is definitely um, one thing that we've been all been paying attention to. Just last month, um, Halifax celebrated the opening of their new Gordora. Um, you know, there was a multi-year effort to raise the funds to actually be able to um, <clears throat> go out there and, and do that. And I think one of the heartwarming stories that comes out of um, the floods is the, the international students actually making longer for... Other internationals, but also the community, and we've seen how once again this, the Sikh community comes out uh, to help in disaster relief. And you know, in this situation, it was you know completely unorganized, spontaneous, but just that spirit of you know ensuring that nobody went hungry. And these are students who they themselves are have limited budgets and limited uh, resources. And it was you know videos and now recognition from a lot of. Um, politicians and news media about, um, you know, some Desi Jigar. Like, I don't know if you've seen the pictures. <laughs> I mean, that's totally it. That's totally it. Like, okay, hold on. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read a description of it. So this is from uh, Tim Houston, who is the MLA Premier of Nova Scotia, because this is, this is the tweet that I saw. So he wrote uh, that in the north end of Sydney, there's no power. A group of international students saw the need to help. They got together, pooled their resources, and started making food over a fire. The only resource available to them, word got around, and hundreds of hungry students without power showed up for help. Every single one of them were fed. The line went on for hours. So these guys, yeah, yeah, they said you're... And the thing is, like... I mean, you're saying this, you got it, but like cooking over a fire is is not really a skill that's that far. It's not that many generations back and it's that not that far removed. So I, I think like white people might be a little bit more impressed by it than, than we are because we're like, yeah, that's kind of how you like we still make linger like that. So um, but yeah, take a look at some of the pictures. It's it's really beautiful. It's really powerful. Well, and I think all the people who are always so focused uh, on you know, um, framing international students as this terrible blight on the Canadian society need to be reminded of um, the fact and the humanity of these international students. And I think this is a great story to show. And again, I not 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 to suggest um, you know that that there's that, that they need to do this in order to to be given dignity. But um, it's definitely a, a strong message that we should amplify. So good on them and, and good on them for, for coming together and, and supporting community. All right, on to a federal level. So our friend Pierre Polyev won the federal leadership race for the Conservative Party of Canada. Um, yeah, I'm going to let you start with this one because I got some thoughts, but what are you thinking? Uh, let me let me give you a more specific question. What does him, so now that he's not in campaign mode for, for being a federal party leader and now he has to appeal to all Canadians, do you think he goes more into his... I, I obviously have my biases. I think his campaign was very sensationalized and uh, very provocative. Do you think he goes more in that direction? Or do you think he, he comes a little bit more towards the center so he can catch more folks? 
I think Pierre knows, um, you know, and I, it's we've seen this through so many iterations of conservative leaderships where they are willing to foment far right in order to rile up a base and win leaderships and then try to moderate themselves uh, for elections. You know, it's happened um, again and again in this in this country um, where they try to now create that broad tent that that can probably give them a winning coalition. I think Pierre is has realized that part of his winning coalition is young males. You know, the latest numbers show us that over 40% of males in the 18 to 34 age group appreciate what he says. And that comes down to his ability to get across to them when it comes to issues like housing and inflation and the cost of living. Um, that's not the case with young females um, ages 18 to 34. Pierre Polyev um, is really appealing to young men and across uh, demographics. So, so here's the sorry. Go ahead. Um, I, I definitely think that you know he's he's going to continue to rile up the people who got him where he was because what they felt like was that the last election was an election that they could have won, but Aaron O'Toole went to moderate, and I think Pierre is going to be very very aware of not repeating the mistakes of Aaron O'Toole, ensuring that he continues to stay on message. But we've seen just in recent days that, you know, his refusal to say anything about Diagalon until it actually in, uh, influenced and impacted his own personal family, um, you know, like Pierre Polyev is, is, is a hypocrite. And how does he deal with things? Um, you know, if if we all followed what he said about cryptocurrency acting as a hedge against inflation, we'd all we'd all be absolutely bankrupt right now. So, you know, he said a lot of irresponsible things in his leadership. I have real questions about his links to uh, the Indian government. Some of his highest advisors, Shiv Majunder in particular, is somebody that a lot of people are familiar with. Um, somebody who's who works for Harper and, and and Associates in a consulting capacity, and somebody that I think people understand is is very pro um, India and the Indian agenda. So, you know, the question becomes from the Sikh perspective is how does that influence Pierre Polyev's interactions with our community? Uh, and it's something for us to definitely keep continue to watch. So here's the here's the other thing. So I, we we want to talk about we always want to talk about the Sikh Canadian perspective. I think. One of the things that I found really interesting in listening to the coverage of people who were voting for him, um, I was listening to interviews of people who had become CPC members for the first time so they could vote for him. And maybe it was because they were reaching for balanced perspectives, but they got racialized voices in there. They got immigrant vibes, hearing people with accents. People are like, there are a certain level of racialized people. There are a certain level of new Canadians and immigrants who he appeals to so it's not just um yeah there's certainly definitely demographic trends but it's not totally isolated from our community and i also think uh we'd be remiss to if we didn't point out that one of the national campaign co-chairs was a sick member of parliament tim opal so this was driven and organized by a sick so what is what is your, like, what are the sick voices? And this is what we do. We share Ask Canadian Six. What are the sick voices in your world saying about Pierre Polyev? Do you think on the ground in your community, in your families, do people have split views of him? Or is it, are you feeling that people aren't seeing themselves in his words? You know, 
I what I would surprise me about Pierre Polyev is that that even young um, sick men are attracted to Pierre Polyev. Um, even when confronted with the potential biases uh, of you know pro Indian um, organizers with him, they they have found some salience in his message, something persuasive in his message. That has probably been the biggest surprise for me over the course of his leadership is that he has definitely inspired them. Um, you know, just like what we saw in the U.S., the rise of the, now the Canadian right-wing populism is something that ultimately I think is a, is a threat to minorities in, in this country. Um, and, I, and I'm not sure how the left is going to respond to this, but from a sick perspective, you know, we haven't seen uh, an unqualified declaration from Pierre Polyev on issues that are relevant for us as six. And, you know, with uh, Timopole there, my hope is that we start to see them take positions that, that we can actually um, support. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of... That's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. I think um, with the previous leader... Aaron O'Toole, who was who was you know accused of being too center and too soft and not not um, conservative enough, he did sit down with WSO and he sat down with Ontario Cost of the Bond. He sat down with community organizations. He was very clear that personally he wasn't for Bill Twenty One, which I mean that's not ever enough as an answer, but he at least did name that, um, and he did seem open and respectful. And he did apologize. He actually, I heard Aaron O'Toole apologize for his misgivings of the past and for misunderstanding things. And I think that there would have been a chance to build a relationship there. I am very, very hesitant um, to say that anything be done here. Uh, before we move on to municipal elections, last, because everyone I've asked has had, uh, not no two people have had the exact same answer on this. Does Pierre Polyev, is he a real threat to Justin Trudeau or did he just secure a did we just secure a liberal majority by by having a federal leader for the CPC that's so far right? I think when we, we look at this, um, you know, as someone who, who loves, um, you know, prog uh, prognosticating when it comes to politics, but is often very wrong, <laughs> you, you know. The demographic switch of yeah, like the 1834 switching to the conservatives in overwhelming numbers, it, th those that is a demographic that carried water and weight for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. That was the path to victory, and it's flipped. You know, the Liberals in that male uh, 18 to 34 demographic is at 24 percent, 21 percent. This is a this is a generational shift. It is a it is something that we've never seen in Canadian history. That is the makings of a coalition that can win government uh, across Canada. I think there is an expectation that Justin Trudeau loses this next election to the Conservatives. That is the trajectory it's on right now. Um, you know, if things change, you know, I'll, I'll revisit my prediction. But Meet Singh has not taken the moment to announce himself as the Bernie Sanders of Canada. You know, be the reaction to Pierre. Come out and be stronger on some of these issues. So without that, without that appeal, well, young people are going to continue to buy what Pierre is selling them. And so, you know, I know the NDP and BC have just put forward a radical housing plan 
that might actually help you know the the housing crisis in a tangible way. But unless Jigmeet starts adopting some of those issues and some of those solutions, and being the leader on this, this is a pure poly of government uh, in a few years. I agree. I'm I'm more in that camp that I think he's he's a real threat and I, to Justin Trudeau. And I think um, I've I've learned humility from exactly what you said from being wrong so many times. Um, I was actually surprised when Trump became president. If you I, when Patrick Brown became mayor, and can I? I know we're going to switch to municipal elections um, in a second, but can I just tell you, municipal elections are so underwhelming. Um, the results coming in, the coverage is so underwhelming. There's no polls, there's no predictions, there's no huge CBC setup where they invite Jaskaran Sandhu to come in and, and do fancy breakdowns and analyses. It was just like me sitting there being like, who's the new mayor of Brampton? I was wrong. I've been wrong so many times. I And I've learned to not count people out. And if that's something that like you believe that this person should or shouldn't be in power, that that's something that you need to be actively working on until the last day because things can change. All right. So we are going to the last thing we're going to talk about today. Ontario has got municipal elections. So I'll start this with a story that I think explains why six need to uh, just be thoughtful with municipal elections. I think we have figured out um, like provincial elections. I think we've figured out federal elections. I think folks will more or less like there'll be like a compass, you know, which party you align with. You can talk to your candidate. There'll be like big campaigns, big issues. Um, I was door knocking for a municipal candidate and uh, there was a person at the door and he was, it, we had a, a groups of young folks who were going out and volunteers who were door knocking and he was, he insisted on knowing what the party was of the candidate that we were, we were door knocking for and he just wouldn't let it go and he was, he was starting to raise his voice and he, he started saying like, you wouldn't, I would never ask you to vote for me and not, not tell you what party I'm from. You're being dishonest. You won't tell me what party he's from. And he it escalated and escalated and he's just so frustrated. Tell me the party, tell me the party. And I think that, that to me is like at the crux of, of trying to figure out how to vote in without parties. I am a huge fan of municipal politics. I think that's where real change happens. I think that's where real stuff gets done. I think it's truly fascinating. I also think because I'm a I'm voting in the municipal elections in Ontario coming up. I can I can tell you I'm just literally gonna have to sit down and Google who all these people are and visit their websites and try and figure out are they a good person and do I want to support them and I don't even know how to vote strategically in municipal elections because when it comes down to like the the school board trustee for the Catholic school board in French or whatever obscure category we're at. I don't know of the candidates listed because everyone in their cha-cha puts their name down. Um, I don't know who, like, I can't vote strategically. I don't know who the, who's uh, in the lead and who I might, am I throwing my vote away by voting for this person? Um, so that's where, that's where I want to start this conversation with you. At how, what are, six, like, even with the federal election, WSO created an election guide. We said, here are the top five issues that impact six. And here's what you should be asking when you meet someone and they're asking you to vote for them. We don't have a municipal election guide. So how do six approach uh, 
a well-informed decision on a municipal level. And let's not forget, Jaspreet, um, your Eastern bias uh, clouding your understanding of municipal elections. There is a municipal election happening in BC. And, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. There's also provincial elections in Quebec. We're just, I'm very, yeah, we're very Ontario-focused here. Uh, and Surrey's election, and the election for Surrey mayor is actually f fascinating. You have longtime, uh, you know, uh, Mayor Doug McCallum up against... And again, in, in BC, it's it's a lot more interesting because there you have slates and you've got, you know, basically mini parties at a municipal level, which is, you know, a, a, a stark difference from the rest of Canada in many ways. I'm not familiar with all provinces, but, you know, having slates helps to people, you know, helps people understand the issues and 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 kind of put their identification somewhere. You've got Sok Daliwal, a uh, longtime liberal Sikh MP, uh, a lot of the community giving him credit for bringing forward the genocide motion. And then you have Ginny Sims, the NDPer, um, who's got her own slate. And then you've got several other slates. So Surrey is definitely going to be a very interesting and fascinating time right now. Um, these slates are, have, are quite diverse. Uh, they are really, you know, coming forward on a lot of different issues. But from a sick lens... You know, in a municipal way, like we're, we're talking about the access to basic services that impact your daily lives. And there's ways that people in our community access these services in a way that is different than the mainstream. You know, you see it in Brampton where when we talk about recreation, Mayor Patrick Brown and I had a very interesting conversation about how funds are allocated when it comes to issues like recreation. The majority of people in parks and recreation, which is probably one of the largest line items in municipal budgets, are predominantly Caucasians. And so the decisions they make on where funding should go with recreation is typically, you know, informed by their own identities. And so, you know, you see funding for um, lawn bowling. You see, you know, every baseball stadium getting lights. Um, whereas... Okay, like the Kabaddi, the Kabaddi Cup being funded by City of Brampton. Well, which is why Brampton has made a focus of saying, well, why can't we have lights for cricket fields? You know, cricket is a sport that is exploding in popularity across Canada. Um, it, it, it is something that I, I, kids in, born in Canada are starting to play overwhelmingly. And there's not enough infrastructure across municipalities across Canada. Frankly, you know, one, one of the things that bothers me so much is that we don't have enough Kabaddi infrastructure that's appropriate. And you're forcing people in even Kabaddi tournaments Again, we, we waste way too much money in commodity tournaments, aside. <laughs> but having professionals play in random soccer fields um, where, you know, they might twist their ankles or hit rocks is pathetic. You know, and, and seeing on the flip side, municipalities fund multi-million dollars into artificial turf for American football, which is a dying sport that is so so terrible um you know with, for, with mental health issues concussion issues you know long-term damage uh, to brains and brain injuries like it's a barbaric sport and yet it gets subsidized in this country to such a large extent and yet sports that people in our community play are being forgotten i think these are the challenges that we face when we have to engage at a municipal level don't be afraid of making the asks don't be afraid of being unapologetic because other organizations and other uh, communities are out there getting a disproportionate amount of funds when it comes to municipal, municipal services. And I think like there's so many 
Um, there's so many examples. So I, I vote in Toronto. I'm voting in the Toronto municipal election. Um, fun fact, one of the uh, city councillors who came by knocked on our door. He said, yeah, Sikhs and Italians vote a lot. And I was like, don't, don't come at me with that. That's not how you get my vote. That's a weird thing to say. Um, and I, I was also low key proud that he, he knew that we were politically active. Um, but I was raised in Brampton, spent my, all my formative years in Brampton. Um, and that's like, it, I actually, I'm so, um, invested in Brampton politics that, it wasn't until someone asked me like a month ago, like, oh, who are you voting for for mayor that I stumbled on my answer because I was like, oh, I can't vote because it was the first time in my life since I've been voting that I haven't voted in a Brampton election. Um, so it's still kind of shocking to me that that I'm not like my heart's still in Brampton, but my vote's not. Uh, but there are and this is where my passion for for Brampton comes from. There are so many municipal services that so those like you're talking about parks and recreation Brampton has fewer pools than Mississauga like a racialized community just doesn't get as many not even like things that white people or sports that they play but even the ones that they play we are not getting as many as other communities there are all all of these services where the like we don't get those services that we should, the community shows up. Daisy Gordora is running a social insurance uh, number clinics, right? That's federal in collaboration with federal. Uh, WSO ran COVID clinics. That was provincial and with public health municipally. We, um, the Toronto Regional, Toronto and Region Conservation Authority, that's municipal. They're the ones that collaborated with Giritpur Park, which is where we put ashes it's the only park in Canada where you can put ashes after someone has passed away so that, uh, you know, you don't have to fly to India to do that anymore. These should have that park it's behind Dixie Gordora community raised. Uh, I think it was around $400,000 in a radiothon, completely community funded. It is taken care of by the community. It's paid for by the community. It's open to everyone. On the inauguration of that park, as the Panjbiari were leaving, there was a Hindu family that was coming in to put ashes in the water. Uh, there was a Pandit on stage that was being thanked for the collaboration. That is a Canadian service. That is something that these things all fall to the community and our community lifts everyone up. Uh, so it's very, very, yeah, like knowing, I think as you make these decisions, Knowing what municipal politician can do is really important. Knowing what the issues are that impact you and impact your community um, is what's important. And I think that's kind of how you, and then fortunately, these are not going to be supported by big media platforms. So you're not going to get a big breakdown. You're not going to get well-televised debates. You're not going to get a lot of critical think pieces on them. So it is going to be on you to do that legwork. In municipal elections, like I think more so than anywhere else, your vote carries more weight because there's so much apathy. People don't know, people don't care, uh, people don't get out there and do things. And so it's, you have that much more if you go and you take your buddy and you know the person down the street and you get them to go as well. This time around, it's actually on, the election's actually happening on Diwali, on Bandi Chordavas. And so... If that's, I mean, that's an interesting one because 
Uh, advanced polls open earlier so you can i always go to advanced polls i don't like standing in lines um so you can go on earlier days but i also like as a sick i low-key think that it's amazing to be doing something political on bandichor divas it's a it's a big day you have time to do that and then also go to the gordora get in line get some matei get some darshan of the sangat and do it all but Jennifer, <laughs> how ridiculous is the response from you know the the relevant authority in ontario when in the past they've made an accommodation and changed an election date for a Jewish holiday, and now in the face of rising calls uh, to move the Ontario election date, where in certain municipalities, a third to a to 40% of the population will be celebrating, uh, they're saying, well, just go to advanced polling. The dismissiveness of um, Ontario authorities when it comes to the request is, you know, frankly, embarrassing you know, when you have established precedent of doing so and changing it so essentially we're being told that our celebrations are not worth as much as other celebrations and this is problematic and just another reason why we need to ensure that whether you go out make your vote heard make sure it matters because we need to change decision makers in this country I agree. That response should be equitable across all faith groups. That shouldn't be an issue. Um, but I also think like the same integrity with which we have dropped, ev caught every ball that they've dropped. We've created our own stadiums. We've created our own parks. We've created our own Gitpur Park. I think it's the same passion that, that Six will bring to this. I just think it needs to be well informed. And I also think just because the person who's running is a sick doesn't mean that they are the best person to serve six. And I think initially that was when there were so few six in running in positions, regardless which level of government, there was this community rallying behind them and everyone's going to vote for this person because they were at Bog or their last name is Gore or whatever it is because we know them, they're so-and-so's kid. There's so many of us that we don't need to rally behind a person anymore and we can be thoughtful i think one of the things that i um amnesia is a really incredible thing in politics because people do things and forget i am truly shocked at how quickly the brampton community has forgotten what gorpitano did um i think if you're again if you're listening and we are going to talk about um sexual violence for a little bit so you can pause you can skip ahead you can take care as you listen but uh, Councillor Gorpitelon um, was allegedly sexually harassed a woman in Turkey in November in 2019. And there was the integrity commission. So it was out of country. My understanding is that's why it wasn't investigated by a Canadian authority. And the integrity commissioner of Brampton did an investigation on all of this. And there was a recording of the assault. And there is a transcript of the recording where... The young woman can be heard saying no to the assault 74 times. And this man is still running for re-election. He is being praised on social media. He is being... Uh, six that have big names are praising him and backing him up. I, tru I am truly baffled truly don't understand but we can have a transcript of someone assaulting someone else and then 
stand beside that person. If you're like from a sick perspective, that's really easy. Like we're talking about the sick Hadat Mariada says that you, people who kill their daughters, you don't associate with them. You don't sit with them. You don't talk to them. These are hard lines for six. And, and, and the spirit of that is that anyone who hurts women, you don't talk to, you don't break bread with them. You don't talk to them. Um, it feels like a really, like sometimes you got to struggle to find a sick perspective. And to me, this one feels really black and white. Six, don't support people who, where there are transcripts of them assaulting other people. Um, yeah, that's just, that's where I'm at with this one. You don't, you don't need to vote for someone just because they're a sick. In Edmonton recently, uh, the sick community uh, lost uh, Paul Singh Putawal. Paul Singh Putawal was a was an engineer by trade, uh, someone who's helped and was instrumental in building institutions in in the Edmonton region. But he's more well known for his contribution to six through his Nanak Shahi calendar. I know that there is a difference of opinion on um, whether to implement it or not. There was a time when the SGPC had implemented the Nanak Shahi calendar. That is no longer the case. I know many Kordore um, across Canada do follow the Nanak Shahi calendar, uh, but um, Paul Tingpurwal was definitely a figure who, a Canadian figure who helped to further um, dialogue and discussion on um, how to uh, have six celebrate days of significance um, in Sikhi. And so we, we uh, pass on our condolences to his family um, and take a moment to, to remember um, his contribution to um, the Sikh community. I think we're realizing the longer we do this work, the more chances we're going to have to honor and thank people. And that's, that's really difficult, but it also says a lot about the generations of folks that we've seen who've done this, the work of the community to Boroshanji Gore's words. They're the shoulders that we stand on. So yeah, really, really difficult, but always really important to, to talk about folks. That's everything for this month. Um, join us again next month as we talk about all things political, Canadian, and sick. If you like any of the work that WSO does, please consider becoming a donor, a monthly donor. You can check out our World Sick Organization website and the The Swans Club. And if you are just curious and want to keep up with what we're doing, we are at World